Mom to Mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. We have a special treat for you today and a special episode, and we're going to be talking about topics we haven't yet tackled on the mom to mom podcast. I think you're going to be challenged and impressed by today's episode and guest. We're chatting today with Quantrilla Ard, affectionately known as Quani, who is a recent transplant to the Atlanta area, along with her husband and three littles. A passionate creative at heart, she has answered the call to encourage women in all stages of life and various backgrounds through empathy, transparency, and love. She's a faith-based personal and spiritual development writer who believes in the power of collective strength, community, and fellowship. You'll find her wherever people are sharing stories of triumph. Because she leads a full life as a wife, homeschooling mom, newly minted PhD, writer, speaker, and entrepreneur, Kwani often finds herself in the thick of problem solving. She has a multidisciplinary background in public health and health psychology, both professions that speak to her desire to prevent suffering at both the physical and emotional level. Now, what I haven't told you about Kwani is that she's black and that makes her mothering experience likely different than yours and mine. She has one daughter and two sons. Now, here's a quote of hers that I found really interesting. She says, mothering black boys should not be different, but it is. The beauty of the gospel is that the ground at the cross is level. Each experience with injustice is an opportunity to bring my sons back to the feet of Jesus and how he fought oppression to bring freedom. Each question they have affords me the ability to reframe and reshape the narrative about what is fair and equitable with the hopes of abolishing the necessity of raising their sons differently. You know, girls, I was chatting with Jamie recently and she told me about one of her friends who has two teenage sons the same age, one biologically hers and one she'd adopted who's black. Now she said she always sends her white son into Walmart when she needs to pick something up quickly because if she sends her black teenage son in, he will without fail get followed and his bags will get searched and it's such a hassle and it takes so much longer, it's just not worth it. So she's learned just to send her white son in because he doesn't have any trouble when he goes into Walmart. And it's such an unfortunate truth that her white son is treated differently than her black son. And that's one of the things we wanna talk about today. The other thing is the injustice in maternal health between black mothers and white mothers. That is a huge subject and one I sadly had no idea existed, but it does in 2020. So we have a lot of things to talk about today. So welcome, Kwani. We are truly delighted that you are here on the mom to mom podcast. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you all today. Well, you know, we live in the same country, but it's almost like we're in different worlds. So help us understand what it's like raising your children in today's world. Because I know it's different as a black mom with black children, especially sons, and we're white women raising white kids. So what's, what's it like for you? Goodness, it is a constant state of anxiety and fear. And while that anxiety and fear may 
um, lessen to a certain degree over time or heighten over time, it is literally a constant state of anxiety and fear. Um, you know, looking at the current climate um, of, of our society, it, it, it almost makes me grieve that I have sons. It really does. And it, it, it's almost as if there is no place in the United States of America where we can safely be Black. And that is a terrifying experience uh, for people of, you know, with Black or brown skin. Um, but the, the issue is we don't want to transfer that fear and that anxiety to our children. While we want to prepare them, while we want to, you know, give them the unadulterated truth, uh, we don't want to raise them in a fashion where they are constantly in fear. Um, so there's always that juxtaposition of teaching them to be proud of who they are and proud of where they come from, their ancestry, but also instilling in them a, a wisdom when it comes to how they carry themselves. Um, and, and that is probably the hardest part is trying to strike a balance between those two. Um, and, and trying to just get some sleep at night, you know? And how can we as, as white mothers help come alongside you and help you do that, even within our own mothering? You know, we're raising the next generation of adults who will come at the world with the lens that we kind of hand to them. So how can we help and partner with you to make it different for your adult sons someday? That's a great question. Um, I think the, the biggest help is to allow your children to understand that we are more alike than we are different. Um, the best way to eliminate and, you know, kind of uproot, you know, racism and discrimination it really starts at your table. Um, so while we're having one discussion with our children at a table, you know, I would hope that the things that you know you learn over time as you're educating yourselves and reading, that you too will be having a conversation with your children at your kitchen table. Because just like racism is a seed that's planted and cultivated, anti-racism is also a seed that's planted and cultivated. And I find that the most important values are learned and, and experienced right at the kitchen table with your children. So that's one huge way is to sit them down and, and to show them that, hey, this is, this is what is real. This is what is true. And regardless of, of the things that are being shown to you, here is what God says in his word. And this is the truth that will set you free. And to show them how being in relationship with people that may not look like you or think like you is where you will find that common ground. It's where you will find healing and where you find joy. You know, it's, it's not a hard and, and uh, critical and crucial thing. It's being in relationship with people that are not like you. It's like experiencing the full spectrum of who God created us to be. And so when we have those conversations with our children and you have them with yours, bringing them 
that message, I think, will give hope to them. It will, it will help them have a, a frame of reference when they see someone that looks different, that, that doesn't look like them or someone who's different, that they don't focus on the differences, but that they focus on this is another uh, person who has been created in God's image just like I have. You know, I'm listening and I'm thinking about this from a few different aspects. I'm thinking about you as a mom and the things that you have to present to your children before they, you know, go to school or go to a friend group or a youth group or a church or anything shopping and how you have to parent a little differently than us. The bit that you're saying, the fine balance between wisdom and fear um, and bringing it back to the gospel and, you know, all of the things that we're doing, but differently. And I'm thinking about this also from the aspect of you spending time with other moms, you know, you're, you're training and teaching your children, and then you're spending time with other moms. And I got to thinking about some of my circles of friends and some of the things that we may not think about, like when you're in a conversation with other women and you're listening to them talk, I was thinking, what, what are some of the differences I probably don't even think about? Um, that you have noticed and picked up on and you wish you could say, I just want to tell you, you know, this is what I'm dealing with, but it's very different from what you deal with. Um, you know, we, we're going to talk in a minute about your um, dissertation and uh, black maternal and infant mortality, but I'm just thinking there's probably so many areas of motherhood uh, that, that this comes into play for you. Sure. Um, a lot of times I think about you know, just the resources and the community. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times when moms gather, um, they gather with other people that look like them and think like them and, you know, choose the same things they choose, like the same things they like. And while there's nothing wrong with that, uh, part of starting that transition is to look around and see who's not here. Mm -hmm at the table, especially in your mom groups, yes. especially in those areas where, you know, you pour into people and you receive from people, who's missing from those conversations and those tables? And, you know, when we're talking about, um, you know, even mom topics or even things that kind of affect our families, you know, asking the questions, um, who's gaining the most from this situation? Who is uh, who is going to be the person that gets power or maybe there's an imbalance of power in this situation. And these are all good questions to ask because then it helps you to reflect on kind of where you stand and where you fall along that spectrum. So, you know, those are things that we're constantly talking about. Um, and while I can't, you know, speak for every black mom um, in, in just in the conversations that I've had with my friends, and other moms, you know, who look like me, these are the conversations that we're having constantly. And it's almost like we don't really get a chance to pull back or a chance to rest because we're constantly in a state of, you know, really trying to fight for just the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. change that would take place if we moms did the knee-bending work of prayer for our homes. If we spent just as much time praying as we do providing perfect childhoods, perfect days, perfect dinners. Our kids need perfection, that's true. 
but it won't ever be found in us. That's a gift only Jesus can lavish on them. If Kate, September, and I could encourage you in just one thing, it would be prayer. Nothing will be more powerful in the life of your kids and in your relationship with them than bringing them to the throne of the all-powerful one who can move heaven and earth on their behalf. To help direct your thoughts to specific prayer points found in Scripture, we've put together a month-long series of prayer cards called 30 Days of Prayer for My Child. Each card contains a prayer theme, a verse that correlates with that theme, and a brief sample prayer to help you call upon God to be faithful to His Word in light of your kids. To grab a set of your own, head to September & Co. Shop on Etsy. Pray for your kids today, because if you're not praying for them, who will be? You know, Kwani, you write and speak about Black maternal health and infant mortality, reproductive justice, and the health disparities that unfortunately still exist. And we know that that's a huge subject, but it's one that we need to know about. Can you break that down a little bit for us? Sure, sure. So we're talking about um, Black maternal health, and in specific, we're talking about Black maternal mortality. And, and this is a situation in the United States, um, mainly because we're one of the most developed countries in the world, and we have uh, some of the worst Black maternal health rates. And, and this is across the board, but when we look specifically at uh, maternal mortality and uh, pregnancy loss associated with pregnancy, um, those rates are just staggering. So Black women are three to four times more likely to die from uh, pregnancy-related um, issues than white women. And uh, the CDC says that at least 60% of these deaths are preventable. And, you know, I, I'm of the mindset that there's probably more, that that percentage is actually higher. But we also see issues where um, this maternal health is not really being reported. Um, there was something I read uh, from a, a, a colleague of mine that said that there had been no uh, maternal mortality data that had been collected since probably 2017, and it is now 2020. And it was disparaging because I'm thinking, well, it wasn't that Black women weren't dying between 2017 and, and now, but it just wasn't a priority to capture that information, which was just a heartbreaker. And so that's Black maternal mortality. And very similarly, uh, Black infant mortality is uh, we're looking at the rate of children who die before their first birthday and black babies are two and a half times more likely to die before their first birthday um, as compared to white babies. And there are a lot of issues that are related to that. Uh, black women have higher rates of preterm delivery and preterm delivery is specifically looking at babies that are born before 37 weeks, which is considered full term and uh, low birth weight. And that is, um, you know, considering babies that are born less than, um, I wanna say it's about uh, four pounds and some change. Um, so we're looking at babies that are, you know, very low birth weight and we're looking at babies that are born early. And so those are the two uh, biggest drivers of infant mortality among black women. And when you look at 
what the overall, like if you want to say, well, let's look at, you know, I want to move to a different country, right? The, the biggest indicator of the health of a country is their maternal health rate and their infant health rate. And then, you know, looking at America, these are the two biggest indicators of the health of a country. And they are, the rates are terrible. So, um, you know, you know, COVID aside, I don't know if I would come here from another country because I would look at those rates and be like, well, they don't really care about their mamas and their babies. Why is that? I mean, what's, what's happening? Well, you know, I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> So that is uh, what I did my research on. I, for my dissertation, I wanted to understand why there was such a huge gap in rates between ethnic groups. And some of that interest was born out of my personal experience. Um, I had preeclampsia and I had my son an entire month early and he was four pounds and eight ounces. And praise God, he was healthy. Praise God, I was healthy. But my son and I should have been a statistic. Um, my blood pressure was so um, outrageous and so high um, that if they had not delivered my son when they did, I could have died or he could have died or both. And so as I started to look around, my, you know, our friends started to have babies. We all started to have babies at the same time. Um, and some of them were also having other issues, preeclampsia, you know, they were also having their babies early. Um, they also had low birth weight babies. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going on? You know, we all had prenatal care. We all took, you know, good care of our bodies. Uh, we all had advanced degrees. We had all, you know, gone to college and, you know, had a pretty good quality of life. So what was it about our experience where our babies seemed to have all these struggles and issues coming into the world. And we didn't really see that reflected in our communities at large. So as I started to dig into the research, um, I started to see over and over again, well, maybe it was something, um, you know, I would see, oh, black, white differences. You know, there must be something different with black women as opposed to white women. And I'm thinking, well, what is it, you know? We all have babies the same way. <laughs> what could it possibly be? And so as I kind of dug further down into the research, um, I, I noticed this concept of weathering. And essentially weathering says that constant and repeated exposure to stress, and specifically for Black women, stress related to racism, really breaks down your body over time. And so I started to see even more research come out um, that explained how Black women are disproportionately affected re in their reproductive age just by being born. So let's say, you know, all features and factors aside, as I am a Black woman, as soon as I'm born, I'm already at risk for having certain health issues because I'm Black. And that is a hard pill to swallow because, you know, it's just a hard pill to swallow. You, you can't decide <laughs> what color you are. You can't decide. And unfortunately, that was a huge issue um, that I found in the literature. And then I said, well, gosh, it can't just be that I'm Black. It has to be something else. Well, of course, it's something else. <laughs> it's not that I'm Black. 
It is the experience of being Black in America. So I, you know, I always want to be sure that as a researcher, I am being very true to the, the, the real issue of why Black women are having such crazy rates of infant mortality and maternal mortality. It is not because they're Black. It is because of the experience of being Black in America that puts them at risk. So I hope that answers some of your questions. It's amazing in, in this country that, you know, has some of the best medical advancements out there. And like Kate, this is brand new information to me that I had never heard and um, was not aware of. And I'm wondering, you know, you've given us some statistics. I'm wondering if you could bring this down to your own personal story, because you're a mother of three. Can you share with us a little bit about what you yourself experience because statistics paint a really broad picture but i'm staring at a real woman here absolutely so um i you know i wasn't really aware of this either um going into motherhood so um literally as i said before the fact that i'm here to share my story is a whole blessing and a half okay um so as i said before i experienced preeclampsia with my first son and preeclampsia is um, an event where, as a mom, your blood pressure spikes through different types of things, situations going on in your body. Um, they still don't really know what causes it, okay? And I think that's kind of what's the most frustrating thing to me. But here we are. They don't really know what causes it, but it usually happens in um, the last trimester and there is a sudden increase in blood pressure and it creates um, a high pressure environment for the baby but somehow babies listen god knows babies are super resilient and while the baby somehow finds a way to um, acclimate to that environment of course it is extremely dangerous for the mother okay so i did not know that I had this issue because, you know, I'm going to regular uh, prenatal care and I had just gotten to the part where I was going to be seen by the doctor every week. I was so excited and I had just been to the office two weeks prior, but in those, in that two week time, something just started to feel off. I didn't know what it was. I wasn't in pain. Um, I wasn't really sick or nauseated or anything. I didn't have any excess swelling. Um, but something just felt off. And my husband kept asking, well, what is it? What is it? My husband is a physician assistant. So, you know, I, I felt safe, you know, <laughs> knowing that he would take good care of me if anything happened. Um, but I just couldn't explain it to him. And, and here's something I want to, to highlight as well. Um, I had this insecurity that going into the hospital, I didn't want to be seen as that patient, okay? I didn't want to bring any undue attention to myself. I didn't want to, you know, cause anyone to, you know, have to snicker or, you know, kind of comment that I was a difficult patient or whatever. And some of that was my own personal, um, I think, insecurity. But some of that also came from um, just kind of not wanting to ruffle any feathers. 
And some of that comes from just being a Black woman in America because of the stereotypes. And so that transferred mm-hmm. into my, my pregnant life. And so I didn't call the doctor. I didn't say anything because I didn't know what to say. And so when I came in for um, my checkup, they kept saying, hmm, something doesn't look right. Turn on this side, turn on that side. And eventually the doctor came in. Well, no, let me not say eventually. It was within the first five minutes. And I should have known something was wrong then. Because, you know, as a pregnant mom, you wait in the waiting room and then you go in the, the actual room and then you wait some more. <laughs> so, so the fact that the doctor came in within the first five minutes, I probably should have known something was wrong. But um, he's like, ma'am, you know, your blood pressure is extremely high. You know, we think you have preeclampsia. We need to monitor you, but we need to have this baby today. Wow. And I'm like, no, I'm not ready. Mm-mm, <laughs> And it just kind of spiraled out of control. And the doctor starts telling me, oh, it's pretty common among Black women. And I'm saying, I have had this baby in my belly for 30-something weeks. And you're just now telling me that this is common for Black women? Like, what and why? And it just kind of really threw my whole birth plan and everything off. So um, here I am in this situation about to have this baby. And they tried to induce me, but it didn't work. And again, another issue that we're not aware of, Black women have higher rates of cesareans than white women. Okay, so that's, a, that's another issue. Um, so now my induction turns into a, an emergency C-section and they have to get my son out like ASAP. They roll me into the room and they give me this epidural. And I'm like, I can feel something, hello, hello. They're like, oh, we know, it's just pressure, it's just pressure. And I'm saying, no, 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 I can feel something. I feel you touching me. I feel you poking me. And they're like, oh, it's okay. This is what we're supposed to do. And so I said it again. I can feel you touching me. And they're like, oh, it'll go away. And the next thing I felt was the incision of the scalpel when they started my C-section. And I let out an ungodly scream. And I, I didn't know what else to do but scream. And all of a sudden, it was quiet. And they were like, oh my goodness, I guess you could feel something. I've been telling you repeatedly, I can feel something. I can feel something. And it is an otherworldly experience to be in a situation where your life is literally hanging in the balance, not just because you're bringing a life into the world, but I was also extremely ill. And now my baby's heart rate had dropped and he was extremely, you know, in, in, a, in a position where he was in danger and no one listened to what I had to say. And so it was a, it was a tragic moment, truly, but they finally were like, all right, well, we're just gonna knock her out, get the baby out, right? So that's what the doctor told me. He's like, I'm so sorry, but we have to get your baby out. So it was like, you know, sorry, but this is what we have to do. And so for me, that kind of uh, led me to look at research about beliefs about Black women and pain medication. And there's a whole slew of information that discusses how there are biases in healthcare and, and pain relief for Black women because there is an assumption that Black women do not feel pain. 
And so that was extremely hard for me to deal with, especially coming off of this C-section that I felt. And I was like, oh, it makes sense now because they didn't think I could feel it, even though I said I could. So that was very difficult. Um, and so now along with um, maternal mortality, I talk also talk about um, this, this bias in healthcare and, and discrimination in healthcare about you know, pain medication for women, for black women and unnecessary C-sections for black women. So as I'm hearing you, I can imagine there might be some listeners out there who are thinking, well, I had a really rough birth story. You know, I had a unplanned cesarean. How can we say that this is because you are a person of color? That is a good question. Um, you know, all I can do is present the facts, mm. <laughs> you know, and here's yeah. the thing. Um, the overall maternal mortality rate is not good either. So, you know, what we're saying here is that the mortality rate is bad, period. Mm. Um, and for Black women, it is three to four times worse. So, you know, there's two issues at work here. There's, there's something going on in our system where moms are not either being listened to or they're not being taken care of well. Um, and then there's another issue happening alongside that issue where Black moms in particular are being disregarded, ignored, um, and, in, and in many cases intentionally dismissed. It reminds me of one of my favorite verses in scripture, um, Revelations, I believe it's chapter 11, verse 12, and it's, you know, they shall defeat Satan by the blood of the lamb and their, the word of their testimony. And, and you just gave testimony to what you experienced. And, and who am I to say that's not true, or there must be some other reason. Mm -hmm. You are a real woman sitting right before me with your testimony. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that. And I, I totally 100% agree with that. And that is one of the reasons why I, I have to tell my story. I have to tell the stories of other Black moms because we do overcome by the word of our testimony. And unfortunately, there are hundreds of thousands of moms who don't live to tell their testimonies. So someone has to tell it for them. And um, awareness is so critical to dismantling and, and trying to overturn a system that has never truly been designed to assist or aid people of color. It should compel the rest of us then to want to have ears to listen to that testimony. For sure. But knowledge is power, you know, and as we learn, as, and as other Black women understand and learn these things, they, they then have the power when they go in and see their doctor to say, look, right. I know what the statistics are, because statistics don't lie, you know, to understand this and to, to, to know these yeah. things, it makes a difference. So God bless you for, for, for doing the research, you know, for understanding these things, for getting this information out there <clears throat> to other women, because you're giving them, you're empowering them. And that's so important. Absolutely. Mm. And I don't want uh, my sisters to be afraid. And I, and I 
I remember the fear that I yeah. felt of not wanting to speak up and not wanting to uh, be seen as, you know, dramatic. You know what I mean? And these are real insecurities that we have um, as Black moms going in. We don't, we don't want to give anyone any reason to treat us differently. Yeah. Uh, you know, oftentimes we don't have to give people a reason yeah. to treat us differently. They already do. But maybe it's time to speak up and to shout it loud, you know, especially when it comes to your health and your baby's health. My goodness. Right. When you said that the, the, the statistics of um, Black babies dying before their first birthday, my goodness, whatever can be done to help prevent that. You know, and I don't know what, why they're dying so young and, and so often and so many of them, but whatever can be done to stop that, that's like a plague, you know, we need to, we need to figure out whatever that is that can stop that from happening. Because if that were white babies, there'd be all kinds of research and grants and money stopping that. So something has to be done to figure that out. You know, it's just, it's not right. You know, you just said, I, I didn't want to rock the boat or I didn't want to draw attention to myself. And I think that that has been a really eye-opening thing for me personally in, in our present moment, because I've never once thought that as a white woman, I've never once thought I can't speak up for myself because I don't want to draw attention to myself. Mm. More often than not, I'm thinking, well, I deserve to be heard in this mm, arena. And so I mm. don't have any qualms about raising my voice, but that's something that I'm slowly coming to recognize um, in, in our moment right now in history mm. that there are women, sisters in the Lord, who have to pause and really weigh what the consequences are for saying something and for speaking up because they know what the fallout will be or could be. Absolutely. It is a fear, not just speaking out about, you know, what I do my research on, but as a faith-based writer, it is a huge fear because um, a lot of times you see that there is a very thin line, very thin line between what we espouse as Christians and believe as Christians. And um, sometimes that line gets blurred, you know, and speaking out about justice. Um, it, it doesn't always feel as if other Christians believe that the gospel is the right arm, that justice is the right arm of the gospel. So it's definitely, it's definitely tough, but I feel like it's worth it. It is. And I think you're one to speak out. I think God's putting his yeah. finger on you, Kwani. <laughs> He's tapping me on the shoulder. I think he is. I kind of think he is. Thank you so much for having the courage to say that. And, and just to speak to that, you know, scripture talks about, whenever scripture talks about justice, you know, to, to walk justly, to love mercy, anytime scripture talks about peace, those two things are, are also listed. Yeah. Justice and yeah. mercy. Right. Kwani, is there something specific that you would like us to cycle back to? Um, yes, I always want to leave people with hope and practical wisdom. You know, um, I totally 100% believe that while we may not be able to change everything, 
we can surely change oh, something. Good Working on what we can change, you know, coming together and trying to figure out what can we do? What can we do is always more important than worrying about what we can't do. So, um, you know, practical things. I'm big on relationship and community. And I touched on it a little bit before, but when you do life with people and when you welcome people into your home and your heart, that is the biggest way to connect and to teach future generations how to deal with those types of issues. Um, a lot of times we learn, you know, experientially from our parents and our grandparents and when we see them interact with other people. But if we now change that narrative and bring other people into our experience, then we can show our children a different way. Um, I, I love being in relationship with people who challenge me, who don't always necessarily think the same way I do, because it causes me to kind of wrestle with what I believe. And I always feel like if we can't question what it is we believe, if we can't give a little critical thought to it, is it something worth believing? Is it something worth really espousing? Like if we really believe something that is true and based on God's word, like it should be able to stand up to just a tad bit of scrutiny, right? So that's where that community and that's where uh, doing life with people every day comes in. Um, you know, we don't always agree with the, the people that do live in our homes every day. So it is very essential for us to have those conversations and to, to bring people into our sphere of influence and to share life with others because that's how we come to know God. That's how we come to know him. What about for those of us, you know, I live in a part of the country where 85% of the population looks like me. I understood. <laughs> what about the mom who wants to have these relationships and wants her children? You know, I, I used to live in a very, very small town. I called it a Mayberry and it really was a Mayberry. And one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons we moved to a a city, a larger city, is so that my children can experience diversity of life. And, and while mm -hmm. they are getting a small slice of that, I still live where I live, where 85% mm -hmm. of the population looks like them, looks like me. So what can a mom, how can I um, help my kids to develop a love for people who look differently and maybe even believe differently and act differently when everyone looks the same. True, true. And, you know, proximity is something that you, you know, really can't always change, right? But there are other ways such as, um, you know, what shows do you watch? What books do you read? Um, when you are talking about the Bible with your children, do we have the conversation that the people in the Bible probably were brown and black people? You know what I mean? It's about how you intentionally bring into the conversation um, examples of black and brown people who are everyday people, who are, you know, awesome people, inventors and politicians. And, you know, how do you incorporate diversity in other areas of your life? Maybe they don't always see someone that doesn't look like them or, you know, like you said, 
you're in an area where it is very, you know, much a majority area. But you can draw your children in with literature or music or, you know, there are other creative ways you can shape their worldview. And listen, and not just only American black and brown people, but black and brown people across the globe. What does it look like for a family of our size in Africa? Or what does it look like for a family of our size in Mexico? So teaching them how to have a others-centered view and a world-centered view of what diversity really looks like. I mean, you can do that without necessarily having a neighbor or, or having someone at your table, but you can do that in other ways that are, are very creative and just as effective. I think it's been helpful too to look for ways to bring diversity in just to the everyday moments, even just um, really rallying the the decision makers at my church to have a black baby doll in the nursery so that as a little yes. black girl who comes in, she sees a baby that looks like her and that my children yes. see a baby doll that maybe doesn't look like them and that that's okay. That's right. And even just in literature, you know, I, I think it's in, at least in my part of the world, my part of the country, it's easier to find books about people of color who have done a lot to overcome and these big vibrant stories that are wonderful to read but i also want to see my children reading stories about the everyday lives of ordinary black men and women boys and girls that it's it's not just extraordinary stories it is ordinary stories I 100% agree with you because again, you're teaching them that these are every, you know, everyday people just like us, you know, um, you don't have to be extraordinary just to be valued. Mm. And that's a lesson that goes far beyond ethnicity. So that that's good. Everyday moments, everyday moments matter. When they grow up, they will remember those everyday moments. So good. Well, this has been delightful. Thank you so much, Kwani. You've given us all so much to think about. And, you know, your insights and perspective have opened all our eyes today. We are grateful to you for all your wisdom. And we know that our listeners are going to be as well, you know, and everybody that's listening, if you're enjoying what you've been hearing this season on the mom to mom podcast, Feel free to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Every little bit helps get the word out and it really helps other moms find us. So remember, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram too. And thank you for listening today and God bless you.